0: Um, we're glad you're here this morning. We are continuing our series on uh, called by God. Uh, what is the purpose in life? What has God put you here for? Uh, we've got 11 small groups that have been meeting uh, for the last three or four weeks. I'm hearing great things out of the group. I don't know if you're learning anything, but you're having a great time. So uh, and that's good. Uh, that's, uh, that's good that, that getting together. And I, I'm hoping, and I, this is what I'm hearing, a lot of you are seeing the value in it of being able to have a group of people that you can share life with. and uh, that's an important part of it. We talked a number about uh, a number of laid out a number of back uh, of principles that we're looking at purposes for our life. Uh, we started with the idea that God created you and God created you uniquely um, and he put a lot of time, effort and energy into who you are and how He wired you and how he put you all together. And he loves you. He cares about you. So we talked about why is it that he created us? What is our purpose? What are we here for? And we talked about the first purpose is the idea that we're to love God. We're to worship. The idea is not just simply a we're here on a Sunday to worship, but worship is a lifestyle. And by that, what we mean is I bring God into every aspect of my life. So in every part of my day, and every part of my week, I'm Figuring out how God fits into it and loving and appreciating the things that God provides for me. We talked about our second purpose is to love other people, to love God's family, to belong, to go through life together. And we talked about the value and the importance of fellowship. Uh, we call this Holly Springs Bible Fellowship because fellowship is an important part of who we are. Um, we want to encourage each other. We want to share uh joys and struggles and all of that together. We want to go through life together. And then last week, we talked about the idea of growth, discipleship. The idea is that when God uh, saved us, when God brought us into his family, that God wants us to grow. Uh, Many of you are getting ready to plant gardens, and you're not planting that garden in hopes that nothing happens. You're planting that garden in hopes that things grow and you can harvest it and you can enjoy it. In the same way, God wants us to grow. And we all grow at different rates. We all grow in different things. And we've talked this week in our small group about the things that God uses to grow us. And many of you have been reading, as you've been reading along in the book that we're going through, and on this idea of how God grows us. And, and God uses everything. God uses the, 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 the trouble that comes into our life and the difficulty so that we learn to trust him. And he uses even temptation that Satan wants us to draw us away from God, but God uses that to draw us to him. And then even we talked about the idea of trespasses, that other people um, try to pull us away. Other people try to hurt us. But even those situations, God can use to help us grow. And so we've kind of laid out those those three principles. This morning we're going to look at a fourth idea, of why God, what God wants, and and what's God's purpose in our life, and what does God want us to do with our life. And that's the idea of serve. God wants us to serve. Uh, We would call it ministry. And a lot of times when you think of ministry, you think pastor or you think church, but I'm hoping this morning you'll think service. Um, as we lay out some principles. So let's get into the Bible, let's lay out some biblical principles for us to understand it, and then we'll get into some application on how we do that as we go throughout our week. So, first passage is this, Matthew twenty twenty eight. 28. Jesus, uh, just as the Son of Man, talking about Jesus, did not come to be served, but to serve, to give his life a ransom for many. If God looks at service as important enough for him to come and do it, then it's important enough for his people to do it as well. Paul says it this way in Ephesians, we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. It's this idea of, look, life isn't about you. You need to realize that. Now, we're in a culture that makes life about us. Everything, every time you turn on a TV, every ad that you hear, every magazine ad or or. Uh, sponsor or whatever else is made to get you dissatisfied with life. And to make some, to make your life better. It's all about you. And that's the, that's the message of the world. But the message of the Bible is it's not about you. It's about others. And we've already talked about this. The greatest commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. The second, like you love your neighbors yourself. Um, you pour your life into other people. If, if there's no God, then here's what, let me tell you this morning, if there's no God, then here's what you need to do. Live it for yourself and grab everything you can grab. But there is a God. There's a God who loved you. There's a God who created you. There's a God who designed you and wants you to serve as he did when he came here. Listen to what uh, Peter says. Says in Peter, each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others <clears throat> as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. He said, look, you've been given those gifts to use, not to just keep for yourself. You're to do something with them. You say, well, why is that so important? There's a number of reasons it's it's important. Um, When you look at the Scripture, one of the things that you learn is that as you serve others, it actually brings joy into your own life. Um, Listen to the passage, a generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. One of the things that happens when you start to serve other people is it does something for your soul. Have you ever done something for somebody and felt guilty because you got more from it than you think they did? That's what we're talking about. You know, I, as a pastor, there's times I'll go into situations and I'll, I'll, I'll do my best to help somebody and something like that, and then come back and they'll go, you know, and, and I'll walk away from it going, man, I feel, I feel bad because I walked away more encouraged. I got more from that than I gave. And that's the principle. One of the things that happens when you start pouring your life into other people is there is a joy that starts coming from that. Now, I'm not saying it's all roses. But there's something, there's something satisfying about being able to help somebody else. Not only that, but there is also this idea that it gives your life a purpose and a meaning. Listen, whoever wants to save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel will save it. The Bible's full of these oxymorons, and one of the oxymorons is this. You want, to, you want to find value and purpose? Then give your life away. Give it away. The more you try to hoard it for yourself, the less enjoyable, the less purpose that you find in it. And one of the things that we're taught in Scripture is this idea of If you really want to find life, if you really want to find it, then you give your life away. You pour it into other people. The other thing is this. It has an eternal dimension to it. And that's what I think we often forget. Listen to Paul. says it this way to the church at Corinth. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. There's a biblical principle here that when you and I pour our life into other people, people are eternal. So that has an eternal benefit. It has an eternal dynamic to it. The bottom line is this, you're not taking it with you. You don't sit in a funeral home and have a discussion with the funeral director and say, now look, when we go to the cemetery, does that that hearse have a trailer hitch on it? Because we got all this stuff we want to haul to the cemetery. You don't take your stuff with you. When you get into a serious health situation and you're on the brink of life or death, you don't want your stuff, you want people. You have to understand that people are eternal. So when you and I vest in serving other people, there is an eternal dynamic to it that we often forget. One of the things that you see often is this idea that so many times we consume our life with this idea of stuff that doesn't last. And we get so caught up, particularly in America. They say, okay, so, so you don't understand, Pastor. I am so busy. Okay, let's just talk about the elephant in the room. Busier than Jesus? I mean, you think about it for a minute. Here is a person who came to this earth, needed to change the world. We have three and a third of his years recorded in the Gospels. There's nobody who was more busy than he was. There's nobody who was more demanding than he was. And yet, he finds time to minister to people at every turn. How? How does that work? How is it that that we find time to serve other people? So let me give you some really practical things this week to start to work this out into our lives. Here's the first thing: you got to be available, and you have to you have to be available. You go, well, you don't know my schedule. You don't know. You're going to read this week about the life of Jesus, and in the life of Jesus, here's what you find: some of a lot of his miracles. You know what they? You know what? Ha- you know when they happen? When Jesus is interrupted, in other words, often you'll read in the marriage, Jesus is on the way to do this, and there's somebody who cries out, and he stops, and he goes and he ministers to him. Jesus is going and doing something, and somebody says, hey, I need this, and Jesus stops. And So one of the things that you have to do, and this is, this is what you're going to read about this week and we're going to talk about, you have to see interruptions as opportunities for ministry. And we don't do that. We look at it and oh, no, oh, oh, if I if I go spend time there, I won't get my list checked off. Okay. The, you guys know what I'm talking about? Some of you are checklist people. Okay? Hey? hey, if you're checklist people, hey, I I'm a checklist person. You, look, you want me to tell you the secret to this? Here it is. Add them as a checkmark list. And then check it off. Okay? So in other words, if you're a checklist person, that's what I you go. You really you do that? Yes, I do that. Why? I'm a checklist person. I've got my little light, and I like my little boxes and I check it all off. There's times that it's like, okay, you know what? I've got my list and I'm walking through my list and somebody calls and says, hey, can you do this? And there's this need and stuff like this. And I go and and I'll say, well, okay, you know, I can do that. I'll be over in a little bit and then I add it to my box and then I check it off and then I go do it. Why? Because that interruption became an opportunity to serve. And that's what you have to do. You have to be available enough to say, if God brought this into my life, this is an opportunity. And I have to be available to minister or to serve or to help that person. So many times we look at it as, oh, I don't have time to do that. No, you have to see interruptions as an opportunity for service. And one of the things that we have to do is we have to step back from that checklist, that busyness that we have to our lives, and understand sometimes God brings those opportunities in our life because that's what's really important. We run our lives by... One guy wrote a book years ago. It's called Tyranny of the Urgent. And I think that's sometimes how we live our lives. We spend our lives doing stuff that's urgent, not stuff that's important. And there's a big difference. And you think about it for a minute. If you're Satan, and I don't want you to get to the important stuff, what am I going to do? I'm going to keep throwing stuff at you that's urgent so that you're constantly busy, 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 busy. And you never get to the important stuff. Isn't that what happened, those of you who are parents, who have your kids are gone? And you look back on it and you go, I wasted so much time on stuff that wasn't important. And you knew all along what was important, but Satan kept you busy so you didn't get to put the investment in what was important. That's how Satan worked. So you had to be available to sit back and go, okay, God, this is an opportunity for me to serve somebody, so I'm going to take this time and I'm going to go serve. Second idea is this. One of the things that you have to do is you, and this is where I struggle, you have to, you have to, you have to practice the good enough principle. You know what that means? It's good enough. Now, I grew up in a world of perfectionism. okay, And I am one of those guys that, uh, you know, I, I was actually brought in college. We, I learned to, if you can't do it to the best, if you can't be the best, then don't do it. That's deadly in Christianity to have that mindset. You're, look, you're farmers. A lot of you grew up in a rural area. Let me explain good enough to you. I don't have to explain it to you. You do it all the time. You're in the field, you're planting, or you're harvesting, and something breaks down. Now, there's two options. You can fix it right, or you can fix it quick. And if it's planting season, or if it's harvest season, duct tape and baling wire. And you get it fixed so you can keep going. You do good enough until you get a chance to go back and do it right. Now, I understand there's times you have to do it right or it makes it worse. But most of the time, what do we do? If we're up against a deadline, we we do it good enough. And for those of you who are in remodel projects for your house, let me explain this to you how this works. You're trying to decide how you do it. And you make this decision. Well, we'll just do this for now and we'll change it later. Let me define later for you. 20 plus years. Okay? Those are things that you probably don't want to do the good enough principle with. You probably just want to do it right the first time and then you'll have to do it again and look at it. But that's just a life principle. But most of us practice the good enough stuff. And yet we don't do it when it comes to serving other people. We look at it and go, well, you know, I really want to be able to do this and this and this for him, and since I can't do this and this and this, I don't do anything. Well, I'd really like to take a meal over every week. Well, I don't have time to take a meal over a week, and I really want to make them a meal, but I don't have the time to make them a meal Then go get them a gift card to Fairway or hy V or, Hy-Vee or a, a food place that they can pick up pizza Casey's on the way home. That may be good enough for right now. That may be all you can do, so you do what you can. If you can't do everything that you want to do, then do what you can do. And so many times we get caught up in this idea of we have these lofty ideas of what we want to do for somebody, and instead of doing something, we don't do anything. And you just need to step back and go, you know what, I can do this. You go, well, what if, what if they don't like Casey's pizza? There's something at Casey's they like. Well they're a vegetable person, then go get them something in high v come on you, you follow what i'm saying it's this idea of we doing something is better than doing nothing, and if you're going to serve people that's the attitude you have to develop but another idea not only, not only do you have this idea of this good enough thing and um all of this, but you you have to get back to this point um, i' it's, I'm going to say it this way you You've got to know what your end game is in life. Um, a lot of you have never figured that out yet. Let me help you with it this morning. At some point, there's probably going to be a tombstone at a cemetery somewhere with your body or your cremains, or it's a marker somewhere or something else. And when you do that tombstone, one of the things that you do is you're trying to think of, you know, you don't write a paragraph. Three or four words. That's usually it. What are your words? What's your end game? What words do you want on that, mar- on that marker? Um, none, a, a lot of times people never think this thing through. When, I, when I'm dealing with a funeral and I'm trying to put together a eulogy, it's one of my first questions. I said, if you could come up with one word to summarize what this person's life is, what would that one word be? Because that right there tells me a lot about that person. And my question to you is, what's your end game? Because there's a lot of people are, are running through life, and they never ask that question. So they're trying to amass, uh, they want to retire, and, they, and so they're trying to amass a certain amount of money to be able to retire. And here's what you're going to find. When you get that amount of money, it's not going to be enough, and you're going to want more. And some people are enamored with this. I'm going to get this position at work, and once I get this title, I will have it. And here's what you're going to find: you'll want another position. Or you know what? I've got got this goal. I want to be able to do this and this and this and this, and And I want to be able to go to this. And I've got a bucket list of places that we're going to visit. And you check them off. And here's what you're going to find: you keep adding places. Oh, you know what? I want this for life. I want to be. You know, you have to ask yourself: what's your end game? What do you want on that tombstone? And if the idea of serving other people is not somewhere in that mix, here's what I'm going to tell you. You are going to be sadly disappointed whenever you get to whatever end you want to get to. There will never be enough. We live in a culture of more. And it keeps pushing and pushing and pushing. So you have to sit back and say, what, what, what do you want your life to be about? What do you want to be said at your funeral? What do you want on that tombstone? What's your end game? And I think it's so important that we really sit back and say, you know what, this is is what I want. Look, there's nothing wrong with stuff. But when stuff becomes your focus, then there's a problem. And this is what I see so many times. We We don't think this thing through. And so we just run through life and we run through life, and then we come to the end of life when we're starting to realize what's important and what's not important, and we're going, whoa. Why didn't I spend my time here? Well, figure it out early. Kids, figure it out. You know, those of you who are teenagers, college, and young, young couples or young, figure out what you want from this thing called life. You know? Because so many times people just run through it and they get to the end of it, and then it's like, "Well, if I could do it all over again, we'll do it right the first time." And you have that opportunity when you're young. One of the best things you can ask, like, like me, when when I when I get around seasoned pastors, older pastors, you know, it's, I'm, I'm becoming one of the old guys now. But before that, um. One of the questions I would ask I had a couple of questions I'd always ask older pastors. The first one is tell me about your favorite ministry. That's one of my questions. Another question is what's the greatest thing that you've learned in ministry that you think you wished you would have done early in ministry. I will never forget I had this discussion about what was your favorite ministry to the pastor. This guy was pastor a church. <sighs> I think they were probably running two or three services, three, 4,000 people in each service, um, radio ministry, da 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 you know, all, all, all of the stuff that everybody works toward. And we were just having kind of a heart-to-heart, and I said, at the time I was probably th- early 30s, and I said, um, what's your favorite ministry? He said, let me tell you about one of my first churches was a little country church. So I'd get up in the morning and I'd read and I'd study. He said, and then I'd go to the coffee shop and I'd drink coffee with a bunch of the guys. He said, and we'd talk and everything else. He said, and then go back to my office and then I'd go visit people. He said, those days were awesome. And I kind of walked away from that discussion. I thought, you know what? That's what I get to do now. Why would I ever want to step down and take your job? And it's one of the things that really cemented me into, early, into rural ministry is the idea of, you know what? I don't want to be talking about, I want to be able to say, you know what my favorite church is? It's the one I'm at now. You know, and for me, it's kind of easy because it's like the only one, Um, you know. uh, But I mean, seriously, it's one of those deals where you've got to ask yourself, what's the end game? What is it? And I think sometimes we forget that. And I will say this. One of the things that I have found is this. If you invest in things that are eternal, you'll never be disappointed because they will outlast you. When you invest in people, they outlast you. They're eternal beings that God created. And when they grow in their Christian life and they come to Christ and they start doing all that, that has implications so far down the line you can't imagine it. Last idea is this, you hang in there. You keep plugging away. You stay faithful. You serve all the way to the end. You keep at it over and over again. Listen to what Paul said in Corinthians. Again, it's required that those who've been given a trust must prove faithful. See, look, here's the one thing everybody can do. Everybody can be faithful. Everybody can take whatever job, whatever way that you have to serve or to minister, and you can pour your life into something or someone else that has eternal dynamics. Those of you that don't know the history here, um, we started out at a little church down in Holly Springs. The town's really no longer there and the church is no longer there. And so we've ended up now, since I've 30 some odd years of ministry here, um, the church has been here 32 years, something like that. I've been here about 30 of it. Um, We've been through two building programs. We built the buildings. We laid out a whole set of principles. Um, one of the principles is we're were we, we were only going to pay for it as we go. We were not going to get a loan. We we're not going to borrow money. We're not going to do fundraising. We're not going to send out letters. We're not going to ask people for money for the building. We're just, if the money's there, we'll build it, and, and we'll stop when the money ends. And in both situations, the money never ended. We wanted it to so we could get a break, but it didn't. And so, you know, I remember we'd sit in board meetings, and we'd go, okay, guys, I think we come to the end of it. A bank called today. Somebody put in $2,000, and we go, okay, what's next on the list? The little checklist thing. Oh, we got to buy trim. Okay, let's go buy trim. We'll put trim up now. Yeah, and that's how we did the building. Um, in the old building, we did it all ourselves. In this building, about 95% of it was done by people in this shirt. Um, we hired very little stuff done. And so what we were asking is people to serve. We were asking people to give their time. And that building back there got built because, I mean, literally... We would at the time I was bivocational, so I was working three three week three days a week at another job. I'd get off work. I'd drive up here five o'clock. We'd be most of us would be here about five six o'clock. We worked till nine ten o'clock at night, and then we go home. We go to work the next day. We do the same thing until we got it done. And that's how we and we got all kinds of great stories in it. Um, we took a lot of pictures over that time of this of building this. I'm a picture guy. Um, so and that was back. The kids, you'll have to look this up. The cameras actually had film and you had to get it developed, and they gave you these little postcard thingies that looked like that was the pictures on them. Uh, and we got a lot of pictures of all the building. Uh, I'm I'm gonna show you this morning two of my favorites, okay? Um, this is one, let me tell you the story. Uh, this is Barb Rose. Barb, basically, she was a widow gal, um, loved the Lord. Um, Barb, here's what she would do. She said, basically, her attitude was this, Preacher, I can't, I can't help you build, but I know how to sweep. And she would just come up, and she would sweep. That's all she'd do. Um, this is one of my favorite pictures, because this is what she would do. She'd come up about halfway through her work day or work time, and she'd just start sweeping. And she'd walk into a room. She'd see it need to be swept. She'd sweep it. And you'd go back into work, and it was swept. And we started to realize it's kind of nice to not have to work in a mess. And that was her. That's all she did. She's like, I, I don't know what else, but I can sweep. I can sweep. Um, another one of my favorite pictures is here. Um, this is Aunt Fran. Aunt... Fran, at this time, probably in her 70s, I would guess. Those of you who are in your 70s plus, you know how hard it is to kneel down and scrub floors? And this is what Fran did. Uh, we were getting ready to do tile in the bathrooms and needed all of the, the drywall and paint and all that stuff off the floors in order to get the stuff down. And she's like, I can do that. That's ministry. That's serving. That's serving. Well, I, I don't know how to preach. I don't either. I just keep doing it. Do it long enough, you'll figure it out. I don't know how to do this. Look, there's something, and you're going to, those of you who are reading the book, and those of you who are in a small group, this week you're going to talk about how God shapes you and how God has given you different gifts and abilities and how to figure out how to use those. But what I would say to you is this idea of look, find a way to serve. Find a place of ministry. It might be sweeping a floor, it might be it might be scrubbing a floor. You're like, well, you know, I'm just afraid that you know I won't do it right. Good enough. Well, I'm so busy, be available. Plug in. There are all kinds of ministry. Here okay, so I'm gonna rabbit trail hobby horse. Might cut the congregation in half by the end of the service, we'll see. I'm speaking truth in love. In America, we are very fortunate. In most places in the world, if you don't work, you don't eat. Most places in the world, you literally have to work every day regardless of how you feel in order to have food at the end of the day. That's most of the world. In America, we are incredibly fortunate. In fact, in America, we've gotten to the point that we have, between our Social Security program and IRAs and retirements and investment, we have people that actually, in America, you can work up to a certain point and stop working and still eat. In fact, in America, if you do it all right and you save it and you invest it all and you figure it all out, not only can you eat, but you have money to go and spend and do whatever you want to do. We call it retirement. In retirement here's what happens you don't have to spend 40 plus hours every week at work you get to now pick and choose what you want to do if you're not careful you get the opportunity to make life all about you because you don't have to put in 40 hours a week. Social Security's going to send you a little bit of money you go well it's my money anyway. Yeah, it is. I understand that, but I know if you live a long time, you never put in that much money, um, and I, I get all that. But it's America. It's awesome that God let us be born here to enjoy that, and I don't have any problem with that. But here's the problem: the problem is what God has now given you, especially if you still have your health is God has given you this great big block of time, which in our culture right now is the most precious thing. People will give you money before they will give you time. And if you don't believe me, when your kid comes home and says, they say i got to sell $40 worth of this, what do you do? Here's 40 bucks. Throw that away. Right or wrong? And that what we do? Why? Because time to go out and go, "Oh it work, will you please buy this for my kid?" and, yeah, I'll deliver it to you, and we'll package it up and we'll do --No, here's 40 bucks. we're done. Why? Because time is more valuable than money. Here's what happens in retirement. You get a great big chunk of time now, and you can do whatever you want with. Let's be real. When you stand before God, how comfortable are you going to be with what you've done with it? How comfortable? See, as a Christian, there are two big questions in life when you die. The first question that everyone will have to answer is, what did you do with Jesus Christ? No one escapes that question. The second question is if you have put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, there's another question for you. What'd you do with what I gave you? What'd you do with what I gave you? I kept you healthy till you were 65, 70, 80. What'd you do with it? I gave you a... I gave you enough money that you didn't have to go to work every day when you were 75 years old. What did you do with it? Listen to to this passage, Hebrews chapter 6. God is not unjust. He will not forget your work and the love you've shown to him as you've helped his people and continue to help them. We want each of you to show the same diligence to the very end, So that you, so that what you hope for may be fully realized. You see, listen, you need to understand this. While we may have retirement in America, there's no retirement plan in the Christian world. Christians don't get the opportunity to to retire from ministry and service. There'll come a point, and I'm talking to the board about this. Don't worry, I'm not, nothing planned right away. At some point, I'm going to retire from doing this job, this 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 preaching part of it. I'll never retire from ministry. I just find other places to serve, maybe here, maybe somewhere else. I'm going to continue to serve no matter what. Why? I don't get to retire from being a Christian and serving God. You go, well, I just don't know what to do. Oh, come on, you're an adult, figure it out. I'll tell you what everyone in here has the ability to do. You want a ministry? Here's a quick one. You get a hold of Gospel Mission, and you you ask them, when can I show up and sort clothes? Because every single week, they get loads of clothes in, and somebody has to sort them and put them in categories before they can get them to the store, and they don't have enough people to do it. They've never had enough people to do it. Well, you don't understand. I can only work during the day. They'll take you. We don't have time at night. They'll take you. I can line up ministries. Yeah, Jim's here going, hey, see me. I'll put you to work. You know, you for Christ. We got stuff for you. Her health. Her health there, you can find something. You can go and do something for your neighbor every week. Don't tell me you can't serve. God designed you and me for that. And for those of you who retired, let me tell you something. Too much is given, much is required. And I'm just telling you that if your attitude is, now that I'm now that I've reached retirement, I don't have to serve the Lord in different things. I'm just gonna kick back. I'm gonna let here's what I hear. I'm gonna let all the younger people do it. Oh yeah, they got loads of time. You know? A couple weeks ago or a month ago or so when Aaron was up here preaching and I sat down there. Unbelievable. All that activity of three kids in a pew. And I'm thinking, this is exhausting. And Lord bless you, we got parents who are bringing their kids here and they're doing that. And I, you, you are my heroes. Because there's no better place for them than with you, learning about God growing. In fact, I had somebody, we were, <laughs> we don't, I don't share a lot in small group, but we were talking the other day, and somebody, somebody was saying, you know, when I sit in church, there's there's a family that usually sits behind me, and their kid pokes me in the middle of the back. <laughs> and they, you know what they said? They said, I love it. They said, I love it. Now, kids, I'm not saying you need to start doing that, but, I guess, no, no, no. But, I mean, you know, they say, you know, I look forward to it because there's kids that are parents that are here with their kids. It's awesome. And I'm telling you, look, find a place to serve. You were created for that. And, by the way, this isn't age-specific. Those of you little kids who are here this morning or teenagers, you find a place to serve. Practice is over. You help the coach pick all the stuff up. You carry the stuff back to the equipment room or wherever they're putting it. You help the bus driver. You be the last one out the bus and help them pick up stuff that they see around. You step, you come into your teacher and say, Can I, I'll help you get this stuff picked up and put in the trash can before I leave the room. Everyone can serve. God created you for it. It's not about you. And I want to challenge you because if you really want to find joy and you really want to find meaning and you really want to find purpose in life, you give your life away and serve other people. And you find a place that God can use you. So I end this morning with this idea. God has called you to serve Him. Serving God is the greatest investment you can make with your life. It produces meaning, joy, and purpose. In order to really appreciate life, you've got to give it away. You are placed here to serve, not to be served. How much of your life is going to be spent this week ministering and helping others? That's the real test of what we're called to do this week. Let's pray. Lord, use us. God, it's so easy to get caught up in the busyness of this world. It's so easy to start investing our life in stuff that really, in the end, is not going to matter. Lord, I pray that you would help us, that we would see the value of pouring our life into people around us. And Lord, this week, as our schedules are interrupted, may we see them as opportunities, and may you use us as we try to help those around us. These things we ask in your name. Amen. Let's stand together, and um, we're going to sing Make Me a Servant.